Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Sunday, January 7th, our first podcast of 2024. What is going on, guys? Hopefully, this is the last time I will have to apologize for a delay in between episodes. I know the Words with Wallace fans are clamoring for more consistent episodes from me, and and you know what they say, right? New year, new me. Nah, not really. Uh, Just had to take some time to get settled in after, again, Traveling for the holidays, getting caught up with work stuff, all that good stuff. And more importantly, just kind of catching up on watching basketball. Uh, felt like I wasn't watching as much hoop as I needed to. Uh, now I've been kind of glued to my couch over the past week or so. And we are back to talk about what exactly we missed. So uh, as you guys can tell by the title of this episode, we are going to be focused on the Golden State Warriors today. Had a really tough loss earlier this week. I've been in a bit of a tailspin. A lot of news stories coming out around the team Uh, And so we're going to dive into just how bad are things in Golden State? What can Golden State do to kind of get out of the rut that they are in right now? Uh, But before we get into that, and that'll, of course, be the meat and potatoes of this episode, uh, we had a trade. It was about a week ago. I think that was probably the biggest NBA news story that I missed since my last podcast in late December. Uh, And we're going to go through it. It was between the New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors. And I thought this was pretty fascinating. A lot of you guys might have heard this already because, again, this did happen a little over a week ago. Uh, But it's kind of worth talking about and maybe that this is a sign to come. Now that trade uh, season is officially upon us, right? We are a little bit uh, more than a month out from the trade deadline, which takes place in mid-February. So uh, obviously we're still a ways away from things kind of heating up. But, again, I do think this will be a sign to come in the NBA. So, Let's get started again. The trade between the Toronto Raptors and the New York Knicks. What exactly went down? Well, the New York Knicks received OG Ananobi, who was finally traded after seemingly being involved in trade rumors over the past about three years, give or take. Uh, So they received OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, and Precious Achua. uh, And the Toronto Raptors received RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second round pick of the Detroit Piston. Let's start things off by analyzing this trade from the perspective of the New York Knicks. Uh, First and foremost, I like this move for the Knicks. Um, I feel like at this point in time, it's pretty difficult to dispute that OG Ananobi is not the best player involved in the deal again right now. He is kind of the gold standard in the NBA for 3 and D players. That's why he's obviously been involved in so many trade rumors over the past, you know, several years. Uh, Really because every team can use at least one guy like him, preferably a few guys like him, to kind of complement some of your star players. And I think that that was kind of the Knicks thinking in this deal. It's like, hey, we're pretty competitive right now. You know, at the time of recording, they're 20 and 15. They're currently the seventh seed in the East. And while I don't think that this trade necessarily changes the Knicks' destiny by any means, like as a Celtics fan, I'm not uh, super scared of the New York Knicks, while I do think it makes their team better for this season. Um, But at least they kind of have a direction, right? They're like, hey, we're trying to win now. We're trying to be competitive. We're trying to see what we have. Uh, And maybe now they're, you know, the next angry star away from being extremely competitive in the Eastern Conference. Uh, But the important thing is that, again, OG Ananobi and his play style is a great complement to what they have as their core in Jalen Brunson mainly. And then, of course, Julius Randle as well. Um, Quickly, obviously, shows a lot of potential. Um, He was kind of the runner-up for Sixth Man of the Year last year, a guy that I picked to win that award this year. So, RIP to any uh, quickly six man of the year bets. It, it looks like he's going to be the starter over in Toronto. So uh, that's kind of a downside of this trade, at least in my opinion, because now my pick is kind of busted there because I do think he would have won it again. But quickly he's really talented, right? He's, he's probably, he was definitely one of the Knicks five best players. But the issue is that he's a small guard and the Knicks best player is also a small guard. So it didn't really make sense to play Brunson and quickly alongside each other more than like a few minutes per game. 
Um, and so he was never really going to get the role that he deserved and needed uh, in New York. So I think it makes sense that the Knicks were willing to part ways with Quickly, even though he's an ascending player and is really talented. And then finally, they threw in the towel on R.J. Barrett as well, right? That's kind of the other big piece. Obviously, uh, I think Barrett was, what, the third pick in that draft a couple years back in 2019, uh, a guy that was a top-ranked high school recruit and, and a top-ranked recruit heading into his time at Duke. Um, but that being said, I don't think that that R.J. Barrett leap was ever really coming, right? That's kind of what the Knicks probably arrived on. Um, he's just been really inconsistent as a shooter and as a scorer. And the Knicks just kind of showed that they didn't feel like having R.J. Barrett on the court to close games lately gave them the best chance to win, right? Uh, he wasn't really consistent enough as a perimeter defender. Again, wasn't consistent enough as a shooter. And he just didn't really show the development signs where they felt like they were trading a, a guy that has a chance to turn into a superstar player. Now, I think R.J. Barrett's an extremely useful player. I think, you know, all 30 teams would probably use him on their roster. Uh, but again, I just don't think he fits that, obviously, 3 and D, OG and Anobi role as good as OG can. So uh, they finally kind of threw in the towel on that. Um, and I do actually think that Precious is sneaky, a nice pickup for the Knicks as well, just because of how hammered they've been in, in terms of their uh, front court depth, we should say, right? Like Mitchell Robinson's now out for the season. You know, you got Hartenstein and I think Jericho Sims kind of filling in minutes, but I think Sims got hurt as well. So they're really hurting as far as big men. And I think Precious could be a nice little guy to eat up minutes off the bench. Uh, you know, when a team signs Taj Gibson, I know that that's uh, Coach Tom Thibodeau's guy. Uh, but that's usually a sign of desperation, right? You know, Taj Gibson is well past his prime at this point. I think Precious can give them some nice minutes. And again, I think the Knicks have more of a direction. Again, I don't think it makes them like a real contender or anything like that. But I would kind of pick them to make that climb up to the four seed in the East. I think everything in the East is pretty wide open uh, outside of the top three seeds. Of course, those being Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. After that, that four seed is kind of up for grabs. And I think that that is the Knicks' seed to lose right about now. Uh, so again, I like this move for the Knicks. It gives them more direction, and it just kind of, you know, OG is a really good fit for what they have going on in that team right now. And there's really no shame in a team, uh, you know, kind of rolling the dice to at least make themselves a little bit better. Uh, finally, let's look at this from the Raptors' perspective as well. I really like this deal for the Raptors uh, as well. Uh, for a team that's 14 and 21, and they are the 12th seed in the East, uh, it makes sense for them to kind of roll the dice and get two younger you know, kind of lottery ticket type players, right? Uh, we kind of know what OG is at this point in time. He's definitely kind of in his prime right about now. I don't think he's going to take any real leap. But the Raptors kind of have two swings at the plate where like, hey, I said OG is the best player in the deal right now, but a couple years from now, I could see quickly or RJ Barrett end up ending up being the best player uh, that's involved in this deal. And it makes sense that they would take that type of swing in the position that they're in. Uh, they desperately needed a guard that can shoot from the perimeter, so obviously quickly is going to be a better uh, fit at the starting point guard spot than Schroeder, even though Schroeder's been pretty solid for Toronto this season as well. Uh, and I think nobody really needed a change of scenery more than R.J. Barrett, right? Like I mentioned, he hadn't been closing games for the Knicks. He gets to come home. He's actually from Toronto, so I'm sure RJ is quite excited about that. And just has a, a lot of a longer leash to make those mistakes. Uh, because when you're a playoff team in the Eastern Conference in a really competitive NBA, you know, obviously Tibbs proved, proved that he did not want him out there at the end of games. Uh, and so hopefully RJ has a little bit of a chance to be more creative with the ball in his hands uh, and be more of a secondary scorer on that team and, and a really good compliment to Scotty, Scotty Barnes. So... 
I think that makes a lot of sense from the Raptors' perspective. And also, you know, a sneaky bonus to this deal for the Raptors as well is like, hey, I know that they got a second-round pick, but that's this year's second-round pick of the Pistons, which if you guys have not been up-to-date on what's happening in Detroit, they currently sit at three wins in early January, so that's not great. So basically, that second-round pick, you can kind of look at it through the same lens as a late first-round pick of this upcoming draft, which definitely has more value than most second-round picks out there. So... I think this move is about as good as you can get uh, for the Raptors at this point in time. But the question that it kind of begs to ask is like, was this better than the alleged, you know, three first round picks that the Raptors could have accumulated for OG and Obi had they moved him last year? Uh, that's a good question. Probably not. But at the same time, do we really know if a team actually offered three first round picks for OG and Anobi? You never really know, you know, what the protections are for those picks. Three first round picks of, you know, the Celtics or the Thunder or something like that. Do you really want those picks at this point in time? You know, probably not. So we didn't know exactly the value of those three first-round picks. And getting two players that I think, you know, on their own, I think quickly could go for a first-round pick. I think R.J. Barrett could as well. Uh, so I do think that this is basically on par with some of those offers that were floated out by the Raptors last year. And it's, it's good to know that, hey, you know, you get known commodities, right? You never know what those draft picks could become. You could always draft a bust. And we know for certain that, you know, regardless of what you think of R.J. Barrett not living up to his potential, he's definitely not a bust, and neither is Emmanuel Quickly. So getting some known commodities to help build around Scotty Barnes and get hopefully some better perimeter shooting out there is going to be good for the Raptors in the long term. So overall, I think this trade is a dead heap. I think it makes sense. There's clearly, you know, at this point in time, I don't think there's an obvious winner. I know we always love putting a winner and a loser on a trade the second after it happens, which is just, you know, pretty incorrect to do that in general. Uh, but I think it, it makes sense completely for both sides. And what I do think as well is that this could be a sign to come uh, of future deals for the Toronto Raptors, right? Uh, it seems like they've picked the direction. Obviously, what they've seen this season so far is that Scotty Barnes has made a massive leap from last season, a leap that they were hoping to see. He's clearly the centerpiece of the franchise at this point in time. Uh, so I think it would make sense if they eventually move Pascal Siakam as well. He's still a really productive player for the Raptors that can command some significant draft capital and young players for any team that want to add Pascal Siakam to their roster. Uh, so again, I think that this is a sign of things to come, and I would expect Pascal to be moved to another you know, contending team within the next few weeks here. We'll see if Toronto is able to complete the overhaul of their roster and have some direction with some young pieces moving forward. Let's move on to talking about what exactly is going on with the Golden State Warriors. So of course, this is a team that I'm always going to be bullish on. Again, as you guys know, Steph is... My favorite player ever. I'm always going to feel like they have a chance to win the title with them, with Steph still in the late prime of his career. Uh, but now with their recent struggles, it kind of begs the question, are they still contenders? You know, what has been going on lately? And it's just been a really tough week overall for the Golden State Warriors, despite the fact that yesterday it was actually announced that Draymond Green has been reinstated from his indefinite suspension. So as we kind of talked about last episode, we know that Draymond Green received an indefinite suspension uh, about a month ago at this point in time, maybe a little bit less, uh, when he backhanded Yusuf Nurkic, connected with the side of his head, really could have hurt Yusuf Nurkic, and so he was suspended indefinitely for that act. Now, of course, it is going to be a bit of a ramp-up period for Draymond that the Warriors announced since they just found out yesterday that he is going to be coming back to the team. So it's going to take Draymond about a week before we expect to see him return to action. That would put him on pace to play next Saturday, uh, which is January 13th against the Bucks. That's probably my best guess as to when he'll be back, which would kind of make it a totality of 15 games missed for Draymond. 
you know, if we're, if we're checking out the punishment and seeing if that tracks and if I think it's fair, I think for the most part, 15 games for, you know, how terrible of an on-court act that we saw from Draymond, I think that that makes sense. I would have even, you know, would have been okay to see it go as high as 20 games, to be honest with you, just because of the recent history and how much Draymond has been warned by the league, how much the league has kind of cracked the hammer down on him. You know, you really can't afford to be seriously hurting somebody. And again, I think that was the worst thing that Draymond's ever done on a basketball court. But regardless, he is going to be back. And in the 12 games that Draymond has missed so far, the Warriors are 7-5 and five without him. So it's not like they've been completely struggling without Draymond. They've actually been better without Draymond than the pace that they were on previously. Because overall, the Warriors are 17-18. and 18. They're below 500 right now. And they're currently sitting at the 10 seed in the West. And it's not just the standings that are really ugly for a team that has, who I believe is still a top five to seven player in the entire league in Steph. Uh, but it's exactly what happened the past week and really uh, was highlighted with that brutal loss that they had against the Denver Nuggets on Thursday, January 4th. Now, obviously, in a nutshell, losing to the Nuggets is, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. I think the Nuggets are obviously one of the two best teams in the entire league. But it was really just the manner in which the Warriors blew that game that was really upsetting and has led to some interesting stories coming out of that Golden State locker room. So the Warriors actually put up a season-high 44 points in the third quarter in that game Thursday against the Nuggets. They ended up heading into the fourth quarter with a 13-point lead, and things were looking pretty good. Even with just five minutes left in the game, the Warriors were clearly in the driver's seat. They were up 14 with five minutes left. Aaron Gordon actually hits a three in the corner to cut the lead down to 11. And there's one play specifically that I wanted to focus on because it was pretty interesting and it seemed like there was some instant karma for the Warriors. Because after Aaron Gordon hit that three, cut the lead down to 11 with about five minutes left in the game, for some reason Jokic decided to pick up uh, Warriors rookie Brandon Pashemski full court. Pashemski's trying to bring the ball up and, and Jokic looked to try to pressure him. It did look like there was some weird contact there and Pashemski might have pushed, pushed off a little bit. Uh, and Jokic basically flopped and, and went to, you know, look like he was trying to sell an offensive foul on Pashemski. Uh, no call was made, but eventually I believe Golden State called timeout. But in right before you know both teams went to their respective benches for the timeout, uh, Steve Kerr actually exchanged some words with Jokic that was pretty interesting. It looked like he kind of you know was again directly addressing Jokic, and he was like, "Come on, man!" Like you know, giving Jokic crap for trying to sell that call or whatever, and he just kept saying like, "Come on, man! Like today is not your day. Today is not your day." And immediately, again, the Warriors were hit with some instant karma, and the Warriors proceeded to basically not score the rest of the game. Uh, the 13-point lead evaporated, and essentially it was capped off by a 40-foot bank shot from Jokic at the buzzer, which gave the Nuggets the win 130 to 127. So it was a total meltdown. Again, when I actually put this game on, it was basically tied in the third quarter. The Warriors rip off a massive run. I think they got up as much as 20 at one point in time. Um, and obviously, again, had a 13-point lead with just a few minutes left in that game uh, just to end up blowing it and just having no fourth-quarter offense whatsoever to close that game. And so while that was bad, it was actually the stories that came out the next day from the Golden State locker room that were even worse. Um, it was actually pointed out by many people in the media that Jonathan Kaminga was in the midst of a really great game on Thursday against the Nuggets. He had 16 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, and was actually a team high plus, uh, what was it, plus 6 in just 19 minutes of action. Um, and then he actually never played the rest of the game after being taken out halfway through the third quarter. So, again, Jonathan Kaminga was basically the Warriors' best player through three and a half quarters just for him to be put on the bench and not put in the rest of that game. 
And so immediately after the day after that game uh, and the day after Jonathan Kaminga was benched, there was a report from Sham Sharania of The Athletic uh, titled, Warriors, Jonathan Kaminga has lost faith in Coach Steve Kerr. And so, you know, the article didn't, you know, reveal too much. It, it went on to just explain how frustrated Jonathan Kaminga has been without being able to carve out a truly consistent role in this team. It seems like Steve Kerr's rotation has been all over the place, and it's definitely taken a toll on some of the younger players in this locker room. And that was not the only negative report to be released that day. Uh, Moses Moody, who I've talked a little bit about on this podcast, obviously a lottery pick for the Warriors a couple years back. You know, it looked like him and, and Jonathan Kaminga were two of the Warriors' more promising young players. They've obviously already cut bait on James Wiseman last year, who was a busted lottery pick for them as well. Uh, but I just wanted to read some of the recent minutes for Moses Moody in some of these Warriors games, which again, have all been without Draymond Green. Um, in order of most recent to least recent, his his minute logs are as follows. Six minutes, zero minutes, zero minutes, zero minutes. So again, three consecutive DNPs, 13 minutes, three minutes. Again, all without Draymond Green. Uh, and of course, after that Jonathan Kaminga report on Friday the 5th, uh, basically an identical report came out from Moses Moody's camp saying that they were also frustrated with Moses Moody's role and that he had expressed some frustration with head coach Steve Kerr. So where does that leave us, right? It's really discouraging that... You know, the Warriors, they really didn't have, like, that bad of an offseason, right? Um, they, they drafted two rookies who have actually been really impressive and given them really consistent minutes in Brandon Pashemsky, who we just talked about, who's been a really nice pick for them, who was, I believe he was a first-round pick, and then Trace Jackson Davis as well, uh, kind of playing that power forward position for the Warriors. Looks like he has really high IQ, uh, has been really skilled for the Warriors basically all season. Uh, even Dario Saric has given the Warriors nice, you know, big man minutes, if you even want to consider him a big you know, he's probably the closest thing they have to that, and he's been really solid alongside of Kevon Looney uh, to basically provide backup big minutes. And, and I even think the, the, the Chris Paul-Jordan Poole transaction looks like a positive for the Warriors. You know, Poole has, I think he, Poole has actually the lowest plus-minus in the entire NBA, which is just kind of a fun fact. Obviously, he plays for Washington, uh, the second-worst team in the league behind Detroit. And I think Chris Paul has been pretty solid and has been able to provide a spark to the Warriors' second unit and occasionally closing games for them. So despite all the things that have gone well for the Warriors this offseason, the fact that we're sitting here in early January and they're below 500, these reports are coming out, it really just goes to show that Kerr is really struggling to find a consistent rotation and manage the minutes on this roster. Um, it actually almost got a lot worse, and we would be sitting here with probably a higher uh, panic meter rating scale if the Warriors had actually dropped their game the day after on Friday the 5th. They played a home game to the Detroit Pistons and nearly lost. Um, the game was actually tied with a few minutes left, and if it wasn't for Steph scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter, they definitely would have dropped that game to the Pistons. Now, I know just a couple weeks ago, my Celtics damn near lost uh, to the Detroit Pistons at home, uh, who had two wins at that time, and the Celtics were still undefeated at home. So uh, that came down to the wire and actually went into overtime. So obviously the Pistons have given some teams some scares lately, but still, I think a loss to the Pistons for the Warriors at this point in the season would be completely catastrophic. And the final piece of terrible news is that Chris Paul actually went down with an injury in that win against the, the Pistons. Uh, he actually fractured his hand on Friday, and he should be out about four to six weeks, which sadly, it's just kind of par for the course with Chris Paul. You know, hand, finger injuries, wrist as well, I believe. He's had all of them. Uh, has kind of been the kryptonite for Chris Paul in an oft-injured career the past several years. Uh, so they're going to be without their floor general off the bench 
for the foreseeable future. So where does that leave us, right? You got some young players that are unhappy, a team that's sliding, they're getting Draymond back, but they're immediately losing Chris Paul. You know, where does that kind of put us at? And what is the panic meter for the Warriors? Now, on a scale of one to 10, with of course 10 being like, you know, DEFCON 1 or whatever, like absolute panic, the panic meter I would put at is about 7.5. So it's bad. And I think the big takeaway more so than the arbitrary number I just, you know, described to you guys is that I'd no longer think that the Warriors are contenders unless they make a move at the deadline. Like, again, I'm going to go through my tier rankings probably as soon as next episode, and I cannot in good faith put the Golden State Warriors in the contenders tier unless they make a real move. Again, they've had a good offseason, they've had a lot of things go right for them, and they just can't seem to get in a flow with this offense and this rotation. And I think the huge concern is the lack of size. I think that is definitely the Warriors' biggest problem, um, which is, you know, I think a close second is obviously the happiness of these young players on the Warriors. But their lack of size is just so obvious, and I don't understand how stubborn the front office has been to get another big man for this team. I know the Warriors have been like the originators of small ball in the modern NBA and really shook things up about a decade ago at this point when they were the first truly successful team to go that small, you know, win a championship with their lineup of death and all that cool stuff. But the league has kind of changed. You know, the league is cyclical and it seems like, you know, big men are kind of having a renaissance in this NBA this year. And just look at the competition that Golden State is going to have to get through in the Western Conference. Obviously, Denver comes to mind. They have absolutely nobody to throw at Jokic, uh, who's an absolute monster, and not many teams do. But at least having a, a sizable person to go out there, bang bodies with him, slow him down a little bit would definitely help their odds. Same thing with Minnesota. Uh, I believe still the top seed in the West at this point in time, headlined by Towns and Rudy Gobert. They have significant size. The Lakers, I know that they've had their own struggles lately, but still, the team that knocked them out last year. LeBron and Anthony Davis are bigger than basically everybody in the Warriors rotation. Uh, and even the top three seeds in the East, if you want to get that far ahead, where you look at Boston with Porzingis, you know, Milwaukee with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis, uh, and finally Philly with Joel Embiid as well. Like, the Warriors are not going to stand a chance as currently constructed against any of those teams that I just named. Now, there are a lot of teams in the same boat as Golden State where they need size. Like, you know, I've been kind of preaching all year I want the Celtics to get another big, but I do kind of like what I've seen from Kata lately, I must say. Uh, but I would still love for the Celtics to sign another big. I think OKC is another candidate to trade for another big man uh, as well, because really, besides Chet, they have nobody else with size, and they are logging a lot of minutes on Chet. But nobody needs a big man as much as the Warriors. So, you know, who's out there for Golden State? I know Jared Allen seems to be floated in a ton of trade rumors with all the, the turmoil that's been going on in Cleveland, and the fact that that double big lineup with Allen and Mobley has not been as successful as the front office of the Cavs has hoped. So I've seen Jared Allen thrown in a bunch of fake trades. Isaiah Stewart for the Pistons would be a really nice pickup for any of those teams, especially Golden State. I think he would add some much-needed size to that team. Maybe even Daniel Gafford down in Washington. He's kind of the only you know center that the, the Wizards really have at this point in time. Uh, so maybe they'd be hesitant to give him up. But at the same time, you know Washington has no chance at all. So I don't really know what they'd be playing for. But those three guys just kind of come to mind. But more so, it's just the willingness for the Warriors to actually make a move. Like, you know, you look at their, their core young guys, which I would say is, again, their two rookies in Pashemsky, Trace Jackson Davis, Moses Moody, and Jonathan Kaminga. I think Kerr needs to cut bait on at least one of those guys. Like, at this point in time, it looks like Moody would be the favorite to be traded. He was a guy I was obviously really high on in past years, but I think he's become a little bit more redundant, especially with how good Pashemsky's been lately. Like, do it. 
I just want the Warriors front office to go all in. Make a move at the deadline. There's not a singular team in the league that needs to make a move more than Golden State right now. Like, you have Steph Curry. You have a a top 10 to 15 player all time on your roster. And especially when you're a team that has achieved a level of success, right? You're not like the Pistons that haven't won in forever or, or a team that just, you know, again, hasn't really got to the pinnacle of the NBA. Like, when you're a Warriors team that's won, you know, four championships in the last decade, there's a certain standard that you abide to, right? Like the fans are not really happy with just being competitive. They want to compete for championships year after year when you have a player as, as good as Steph Curry, who, again, I think is is just right where he was a few years ago when he was winning MVP and all that good stuff. Like he really hasn't lost a step yet. So you don't want to be that team that blows it up early or was so committed to bringing in this young talent. Like who cares if you're competitive, you know, four or five years down the road after Steph retires? Like, you had an all-time great. Wouldn't you rather have just maximized the window for a truly special player that you had, like the homegrown talent like Steph? I feel like if I was a fan of that team, I would absolutely want them to just trade it all. I mean, as far as I can tell, it looks like they have five future first-round picks. But those picks will only add value as the Warriors prove to go more all-in for the next couple years. You know what I mean? Like, if it looks like they're kind of throwing away some of their younger pieces, those picks in 2028 and 2029 are only going to add value because it's going to become apparent that this team is trying to win right now. And I think that that's exactly what they need to do. I don't know what they're holding on to. They've obviously had some turnover in the front office since the whole, you know, two timelines thing came out and they thought they were just going to dominate the NBA for the last decade. But I think the time has come for them, again, to go all in. Now, I know that I was just awfully negative about the Warriors because I believe they are objectively in a really tough situation at this moment in time. You know, the reason I gave them a 7.5 on the panic meter and not an 8 or 9 or 10 out of 10 is because I do think that there's obviously a roadmap for them to turn this thing around. Like I was saying, obviously, you know, trading one of their young pieces, going all in for the next couple of years and trying to maximize uh, the twilight of Steph's career here. Uh, I know a lot of people have kind of floated Draymond Green and trade rumors and all that stuff and Clay as well. I just don't know what the return for those guys at this point in time would be. And I think that, again, a veteran players like Clay and Draymond who have so much chemistry with Steph, I believe that they are going to be more valuable for the Golden State Warriors than they would be at any for any other team, even other contending teams in the league. Uh, and especially when you consider some of the recent struggles for Draymond Green. I'm sure his trade value has dropped. He obviously has been dealing with some stuff mentally. Uh, I would imagine that has resulted in him being so erratic on the court. Uh, so I don't think this should, they should trade Clay. I don't think that they should trade Draymond. I think that they should just move on from their draft capital, move on from some of their young players, and just do everything they can to fortify this roster around Steph. Uh, I think there's definitely some real questions around Steve Kerr as well. Um, obviously, he's seeming to struggle uh, managing the you know, egos, managing the personality of the people in this locker room, especially some of the younger guys. And it's a frustrating situation to be. I think that they, uh, one of the, one of the problems that they don't have is, is not a lot of depth. I think that again, like we talked about having those two rookies come into the fold and having Dario Sarch, it's not like they're a super thin team by any means. He's just struggling to find the right rotation to guys. So maybe they can do like, you know, a two for one of some young guys and some role players to make salaries meet and bring in a big man. Like I had just talked about, uh, bring in another three and D, you know, wing player or something like that is always a benefit to a team like Golden State. And just find that, guys. Find those guys. Find that five to eight man rotation that the Warriors want. If you can get that clear closing unit out there, that would be great. Um, but I think that there is 
steps that the Warriors need to take at this point in time because, again, I do not believe that they are contenders for the NBA championship unless they start making some moves at the deadline. So that just about does it for me, guys. That is obviously my Warriors deep dive, my Warriors panic meter here. We will talk about them a little bit more. We'll see how the next you know couple weeks goes with Draymond coming back into the fold, but we're going to actually talk about all the teams in the NBA on our next episode. I am planning on doing a mid-season tier ranking. Uh, haven't done that since basically this time last year, which is crazy, so excited to see how that turns out. Uh, but before I let you guys go, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. Uh, that includes YouTube, that includes Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. And now on TikTok as well, I did cave, follow at Words with Wallace on TikTok. I am a complete boomer. No idea what I'm doing on that site. I'm basically just posting the reels that I normally do on social media. So uh, if you have any TikTok tips, uh, the DMs are open. You guys know where to find me. Uh, but be sure to follow Words with Wallace on TikTok as well. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. 